Welcome back to the Line Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. This is a place that we bring together the world's leading experts in all things health and wellness to help you optimize your mind, body, and movement. Today's beautiful episode is with my dear friend, Tamar Geller. Tamar is popularly known as the dog trainer of the stars. She works with all sorts of people that you would absolutely recognize, including Oprah and Tony Robbins. And she's like a dog psychologist. She, in this conversation, we get into our interpersonal relationships with each other, with our dogs, dogs relationship to us and how the congruency is between all of them. So this is such an important conversation. I think you guys are going to absolutely devour it. I also wanted to thank Eaton Hemp for supporting this podcast. Eaton Hemp is my go-to snack for a protein-rich superfood. Eaton Hemp's hemp seeds contain 12 grams of omega-3 and 6 fatty acids, 10 grams of complete protein. They're rich in all sorts of delicious antioxidants. They're heart healthy. They got what you need to be healthy and they are delicious. Put them on my salads. I put them in my smoothies and it is an absolutely fantastic way to boost the nutrition value of the food that you are taking in and it's also freaking delicious so if you want to try your own eaten hemp hemp seeds you can go to eatenhemp.com slash align and you can try them out for yourself if you do not love them if they do not make you feel fantastic then you get a 30-day money-back guarantee i think it's very important with any supplements or any food or anything that we recommend on this podcast that if you do purchase them which i recommend i stand by behind every company that i promote on here i want you to feel a difference in your life i want you to be stoked i want you to be excited and get more value than you had anticipated if that is not the case send that stuff back and got absolutely nothing to lose and these guys will improve the quality of not just your nutrient profile but also your health and overall well-being so jump over to eatenhemp.com forward slash align to get a discount on any of their hemp related products including cbd oils they have all sorts of different delicious snacks that are all infused with the power of hemp seeds so eatenhemp.com slash align all right let's get to it with my good friend tamar I was reading a post from Tony Robbins that you put up on your Instagram. What is your Instagram? The loved the dog. Lo- the loved dog. And he was, you know, singing your praises of working with what is his dog's name? Halo. Halo. Yes, and because I do use a lot of what Tony's methodology. Yeah. Because dogs are so much more like us than not. So I'm very blessed that Tony trusted me with his dog. Yeah. Sent it to me from Florida to California and was amazing to see her transform and one of the things that stood out which is one of the reasons that i really appreciate connecting with you is the the congruencies of working with a dog to being in relationship with a human being exactly and it's not like and then we, before we were also talking about like the tendency of infantilizing kids you know and we talked it's okay we have like special rules we talk to them in this special way and you know, i think there's value in having mutual respect for other beings A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And I really truly believe the dogs in our lives are angels Hmm. and teachers. And they come to our life to teach us how to be in a relationship. And they are, in fact, in my opinion, they are our training wheels. Hmm. To learn how to show up to a relationship. To learn how to understand somebody who is different than you. How to see not only what you need from them, but what do you need to be to show up to a relationship? Like we, you and I talked earlier about what makes somebody viable to show up to a relationship. What do you need to be to attract the person that you want to be with? Yeah. And I think 
dogs will tell you the honest truth because I want you to imagine your cell phone is ringing right now. Let's say you're holding your cell phone right now, Aaron, and it's ringing. What is the very first thing we all do when our cell phone is ringing? Reach for it. After we reach for it, what do we do? Hope it's some beautiful female. <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't hope it's a beautiful female. I thought female. that was consistent. <laughs> Certainly not, no. I don't know, what do we do? So what do we do after you hold the phone in your hand? What is the first thing you do before you answer it? What do you do? I mean, I press the button to answer Before that, what do you do? I I don't know. The I, cell phone is in your hand. Yeah. Imagine the cell phone is in your hand. What do you do? I you look at it. Say, I check. You. <laughs> you look at it. See, most people I'm have learning. a hard time admitting yeah. that we all look to see who is calling. Yeah. Why? Because we all check to see... If we will answer that call or not, right? We all do it, but everybody's embarrassed about admitting it. Oh, that's true. So what's happening is when we are looking to see who is calling to see if we want to answer it, our brain, unbeknownst to us, quickly, very much, very, very quickly, process, if I'll answer that call right now, would that be pain or would that be pleasure? Because our body wants us to prevent pain, not to experience pain. They want us to go for pleasure. So when I'm talking about a dog in a relationship, if you're out hiking with your dog at a dog park or on the beach and you call your dog and your dog stops, turns around, looks at you and say, mm, should I take their call or not? They mm. see your name on their cell phone, so to speak. Right. You just call them. You just dial their number. And they go, should I take the call or not? And what happens if your dog mm, push the dog, the button that goes ignore and goes back to sniffing a bush? Or yeah. playing with another dog. Right. What happened is most people then blame the dog. Blah, blah, blah. He's not obedient. not that. What I'm saying is like, let's stop. Let's see what happened in the past where your dog realized, mm, I don't want to go back right now. How did you show up unbeknownst to you in the relationship? Do you see? So when I'm talking about dogs are our training wheels, not everybody's going to be that honest with us. Mm. But dogs are. And instead of blaming, it's kind of like, let's see. What's going on with the dog at that moment? What's going on with me? Really kind of to co-create a relationship yeah. as opposed to I'm in charge, you're subservient, you know, because it doesn't work in any relationship, not even with a dog. That's such a beautiful lens to look at relationships from, from a place of pain or pleasure. I think that many people operate from a place of maybe pain or, or maybe inflicting pain or, or violence you know, mm-hmm. and, and not realizing it. There's yeah. various different forms of violence. Yeah. And that's their approach to life. Maybe they learn like, oh, you got to be a strong man or you got to, yes. you know, to get what you need, you got to just crush and conquer. Yes. You know, but ultimately within that, if you're, if that's your approach, it might work for a while, but the, the people or the dogs or, you know, whatever that you're crushing and conquering, literally or metaphorically, they will have an uprising. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's not, you can't just operate that way because they're not going to truly respect you. They wouldn't be truly loyal to you, perhaps. Respect from fear is different from respect from... Devotion. Yeah. When somebody is devoted to you, think about a musical band. Think about uh, Jerry Garcia. What was his fans were willing to do? What were his fans willing to do? Yeah. Anything just to see Jerry Garcia versus when you're not a raving fan, when it's not something that you're like, oh, it's okay. If, if he's there, if he's not, that singer. So really in a relationship, if you come from a place of I'm in charge and you have to versus the one you're in a relationship with you is excited to see your name show up on their cell phone or your dog is excited when they hear you utter the name 
And they're like, yes, I've been called. That is the best way to be in a relationship. That's what we yeah. all want, right? Yeah. When they, that our beloved, when they see us, they're like, ah, yes. What are examples that you see in both dogs and, and humans, examples of imposing pain or violence or, or kind of the, the opposite of pleasure into a relationship? What does that actually look like? So with dogs, I mean, if we're going to kind of like go back to where it started, dog training where people took pets, not military dogs, and start training them started in the 1950s. And in the 1950s, they followed the way you modify behavior of the military. Unfortunately, in dog training, despite all the advances that we had, that we have with understanding the brain, understanding the nervous system, understanding trauma, understanding attachment theories, none of it is being reflected in dog training. So in dog training, still people believe the myth that the dog wants to be dominant. So when you get a dog, you have to be alpha and to make sure that your dog would not be in charge, would not dominate over you. And that is a terrible, terrible, terrible myth. It's not true at all. Absolutely not true. If a man goes or a woman goes into a relationship with the other partner, feeling that they are there to take away from them, take away their sovereignty, take away their options, take away, where is that relationship going to go? You know, so the invitation that I see with dogs and what I like to facilitate is to get rid of the myths, the myths of one, the dog wants to dominate you. And second myth is that the dog should give you unconditional love. There's no such thing. It's co-creation. You know, no dog wants to dominate you. And if you go into a relationship from a place of violence, like, I'm going to dominate you, it's not going to work. It's just not going to work. There are going to be many different coping mechanisms, but ultimately it's not going to work. I feel like upon getting a dog, perhaps there could be some type of like pre-dog ownership training program. You know, work with your own shit to not impose that upon this beautiful angelic animal that you're bringing into your life. Kind of like having a child. Even absolutely with the child is even more important because yeah. if you have not done your work to go and see where are your issues, then certainly beside epigenetic that pass along through the DNA, you will trickle it down to your children. So I think it's a great opportunity to practice those things and to see where you have room to grow, where you have room to do better, you know, practicing on your dog. And one of the best things I like to do is to start teaching people how not to do obedience. On a regular basis, Aaron, every day I get calls from people, my dog done all the obedience things, but my dog is still reactive. My dog is still ignoring. My dog is still hyper. I don't know how to connect with my dog because what they teach you that a dog needs in order to live with in a happy life in a human society is simply not true. I equate it that when I went to school, they taught me four years of trigonometry, four years of algebra, four years of physics. How many of these do I use right now? Zero. Why didn't they teach me breath work? Why didn't they teach me conflict resolution? Why didn't they teach me how to balance my budget? Why didn't they teach me entrepreneurship, marketing? You know, these are skills that we all need right now. And I see the same thing with dogs, where it's still stuck in the 1950s, as opposed to teaching the dog life skills. And I find that when we teach something, we often learn it. And one of the things that I love to teach people is how to understand their dog. So, like, for example, body language. And if we completely throw away the notion that the dog tried to be dominant, 
that is not the goal that they have with us. With each other, they may have a little bit more, but it's so much more complex, so much more beautiful what's going on. I'll give you an example. A couple of days ago, I had a Labradoodle come to my training playgroup. So I have a bunch of dogs. Love Labradoodles. They're amazing. They're so, so she's sweet. They're sweet. Yeah. Uh, by the way, side, a side note, not all Labradoodles are the same. Not even the Labradoodles from the same litter. Meaning, you have a sibling, right? You know, are you and him the same personality? Yeah, right. No. Right? But you have, you come from the same parents, right? You know, so it's kind of like, let's stop the notion that if I'm getting a Labradoodle, that's what a Labradoodle should be. Yeah, they're going to have certain... Right. Stereotypes. Certain, you know, certain characteristics, but... You're like dog racist. But that's exactly. <laughs> Not all Israelis are the same. Not everybody who lives in Austin are the same, right? <laughs> yeah. Not everybody who is on Muscle Beach is the same. Right. Right? I mean, it's just like your own siblings. Are you the same as your siblings? If you're not, then let the dog be an individual. So the first thing... Letting go of your expectations because your expectations will paint your narrative. We're imposing our narratives upon each other. And that's that's altering the individual in front of us. It's making them not good enough. It's a recipe for disaster to come in with knowing what the person or what the dog is like. I mean, come on. We all love it when somebody tells us what we think and what we feel, right? Yeah. Let me tell you what you think, Aaron. You're really going to love when I'm telling you that, right? It's horrible. Nobody yeah. likes that. As opposed to come open and to say, hmm, I'm curious. Let's see. You know, what are you good at? What are you comfortable at? What is challenging? What would you like help with? And to come from that place to a relationship, whether with a person or with a dog, it is so much better in my mind. So that cute little Labradoodle, 20 pounds, came to my home. And I always integrate the dog. So I introduce the new dog to the dogs that I already have there one at a time. So it's not overwhelming. So the dog is not flooded. And what became very clear that at the beginning, she was running around, running, running, running. And it looked like she was playing, like she was trying to get the other dogs to chase her. But then as I start to see it with the second and third dog, I said, mm -mm -mm. she's not running because she's trying to get the other dog to chase her. She's running out of nervousness. And I saw how many, how many times you see people who giggle. Oh, giggle. Sure. Not because they're actually having a good time and they're giggling because it's fun. They're giggling as a nervous response. Yeah. And it can be very confusing. It's a socially acceptable That's exactly. That's exactly. And their dog did a socially acceptable nervous response of, you can't connect with me. You know, not long ago, I was dating a guy and he was always busy. He was always busy. And I started to realize that pattern, that that is the same way as that dog running. You couldn't catch them. You couldn't sit. You couldn't connect. Like we're sitting right now. I'm looking in your eyes. That was not a possibility. Not with the guy that I was dating and not with the dog. It was just socially accepted behavior to not to connect, not to not to stop and just really feel whatever they were feeling. And had we not saw the dead dog, that's what she was doing, we would let all the dog chase her because, oh my God, she's having fun. And she wasn't. She was stressed. So instead, I stopped introducing her to the dogs that way. Instead, I picked her up and I held her like a baby, her heart to my heart. And we walked around. We walked around and I was humming. I was comforting her the way you would do to a 
toddler. And when she got a little bit calmer, and I can tell it by the breathing, I let one dog at a time come and sniff her because they were chasing her because they wanted to sniff her LinkedIn profile, which is in the anal gland, but she would not let them. So there was a frustration that built up. Her behavior of don't come close to me by running frustrated the other dog, and that would have been a more traumatic experience for her. She came from a place of not feeling safe, and that would have made it worse. So it's very important when I talk to people is to really read what truly is going on with the dog's body language, just like with people's body language. I mean, you're an expert at really reading people's bodies, and they tell you a story sometimes different than what the person is using, saying with words, right? Mm, that's so cool. It reminds me of like before this, we were also talking about avoidant attachment styles and anxious attachment styles. And it's, it sounds to me like that dog in that context, ran into a, a secure attachment style. You as the coach or trainer or human or exactly. friend or whatever your title would be in that dog's life. Mm -hmm. And so by perpetuating that avoidant, anxious, whatever, it's like exactly. that, that running, not because I want to be dating that person or I want to be in that relationship or that friend group or that business, whatever the thing is, it's because... I'm in fact kind of like running around past wounding or whatever it may yes. be, re-perpetuating these things until eventually I run into a place that feels finally secure where I can like... <sighs> <laughs> and by the way, cool. I believe that that is the longing that people have in the heart to have that, to find that place <sighs> in a relationship. And that's where people get dogs. People get dogs, in my belief, not because they are looking to be in charge and dominant and all of that. Yeah. Alpha. People get dogs because they want a place, they're longing, they're yearning for that place where they can feel that they can give love safely. And mm. nobody's going to tell them you're overbearing, you're too much. Yeah, it's very unconditional dogs. And it's not true. They are conditional, but they're accepting love. Dogs have much more willingness to accept love without feeling they're being controlled. And also to give love. You've probably heard that before, people saying dogs are unconditional love. And that's the second myth. So yeah. the biggest myth right. is that dogs try to be dominant. <laughs> let, not me, true. let me keep on speaking mistruths about dogs that you but, stop but, thinking about. But you see, but that is the time that we all, you know, like all men are violent or yeah. all men are that. Right. No, that's not true. Yeah, it's a you good know, point. It's true. I mean, it's kind of like dogs do not give unconditional love. And by the way, nobody should be expected to give unconditional love. I don't think it's fair because if you're not showing up to the dog, meeting the dog needs at the highest level, then your dog needs are going unmet. Yeah. And the dog has, he has no options but to try to find other ways to meet those needs. So, for example, if you are not giving your dog enough, um, exercise in a way that meet the dog needs like in a play way you know to just exercise you on your own is completely different when you're exercising playing with somebody it meets completely different needs if you're not giving that need to your dog at the highest level and you're taking your dog to the dog park and you meet other dogs don't expect your dog to come to you when he finally finally has the opportunity to get that particular need met yeah you see what i'm saying if somebody is starving and somebody excuse me, is offering them the most beautiful, delicious meal and they're sitting to eat. Don't call them before they take the first bite or after the first bite. Chances are they will stay there to meet that need to satiate that hunger. Yeah. You see, so it's kind of like, it's very important when I'm working with people to debunk the whole notion of 1950s dog training that what a dog needs is obedience. Mm. That is not. What a dog needs is life skills from a person who sees them, who can read them and knows 
what to give them in the way that will satiate the six core needs at the highest level. What do you think of submitting a dog? What do you think about submitting a woman or submitting a man? <laughs> It's very common. It's horrible. They It's need horrible. to know who's boss, Tamar. That is Neanderthal <laughs> way of thinking. It's Neanderthal way of thinking in any relationship. Any relationship. And unfortunately, a lot of what people, education come from, you know, social media and TV shows. And nobody really checks to see, is it viable information? Submitting a dog, by the way, is... Can you describe what that, yeah, I might so, be not, and that might not be what people in the dog training world call it. But So literally two days ago, PETA sent me a video that they said, Tamar, would you please give us your opinion? And in that video, do you see a man who calls himself a dog trainer and a dog, and he has the chalk chain on the dog's neck, and he is screaming at the dog, sit, sit, sit. The dog is laying on the ground, completely crawl, like, like into himself, <laughs> crying, crying, crying. And the person is like, sit, sit. The person was saying that the dog is being dominant by refusing. Meanwhile, you see the dog is in utter trauma, peed himself, utter trauma. But that guy is like, the dog is not saying what I'm doing. The dog is challenging me. And hence I'm saying that person is Neanderthal. Neanderthal, this is abuse, utter abuse. And unfortunately, Aaron, ah, it makes me so emotional. I have so many dogs come to me that were abused under the guise of you have to be submissive to us. Because what's the biggest, biggest issue that I see right now that caused the utmost suffering to dogs and to children, by the way, and in grown-ups too. But let's talk about dogs for, for that case is misdiagnosed trauma. I see so many dogs who are, when they're acting aggressive, they're being labeled as dominant. When actually, when we look, when the nervous system gets activated, the nervous system has the option to freeze, to flight, or to fight. If a dog is on a leash and his nervous system is being activated and he feels completely threatened, he cannot freeze because the, the owner keeps walking the dog. He cannot run away, he cannot flight. He's on a leash. So what can the nervous system do without guidance of a secure attachment parent to help him is to fight. Freeze doesn't work, flight doesn't work, so the dog has to fight. Unfortunately, a lot of trauma is being misunderstood. So when we think about trauma, you know trauma is physiological. Trauma is not out there. You know trauma is being recorded even before the brain is being cognitive of trauma and it's being recorded in the body. We know that. You're with me, right? You know yeah, that this is, that. you know. And unfortunately, nobody ever think about it when it comes to dogs. So the veterinarians are not seeing it. They don't study it in school. Dog trainers certainly not see it. And I get a lot, a lot of dogs with different degrees of traumas come to me. And trauma, it can be an event that causes a change in the nervous system, long-term impact, in a disruption in the nervous system in the body. But it can also be from neglect, And it can also be, and Stanford University research showed when trauma starts, that it often starts in utero. If the mother was stressed and the mother's body was secreting a lot of cortisol, the pups are in that amniofluid, swimming in that cortisol soup, just like a child may see, you know, live for nine months. Dogs are 62 days. In that cortisol, amniofluid, marination, the puppy is born already, the nervous system is already hyped to be hypervigilant, to be avoidance, one of the two on the spectrum. And when they come to me, I see dogs who are rescue dogs, and I see dogs that came from fancy breeders where people paid thousands of dollars, and I see the same situation. 
So the first thing that I have to do is to heal the nervous system. My job is to get the nervous system placed to a regulation. If I don't do that, there's no cognitive ability that can happen to the dog. It's impossible. You know the body. You know when we get triggered, when the nervous system goes on arouse and go into fight or flight, what happens is the blood leaves the nervous system and goes to the big muscle groups. So there's no way to learn. So the example that I give to people is, imagine you are flying in an airplane and all of a sudden the airplane take a nosedive, the yellow masks come down, everybody's freaking out. And I'm like, okay, now let's teach you Chinese. You always wanted to learn Mandarin. Let me teach you now. That person going to say, Tamar, go away from me. Are you crazy? Or are going to come to that person? Oh, here is your meal right now. Let me give you your favorite meal. The plane is taking a nosedive. You cannot eat. It's just your body is shut down. You cannot think. You can reproduce also, by the way. That's what happens in the body. So when a dog is in that place and trainers say, well, he's ignoring you because he's dominant, that is biologically wrong. It's biologically wrong. The dog cannot process information there. And the clue for the parent, the dog parent to see, is if your dog is not taking treats at that moment, that is the biggest clue that the system is shut down. Nobody's home. You can't correct the dog. You can't teach him. You have to say, how can I get the dog away from their triggering situation and start to work on desensitizing them to whatever the trigger is in a safe the key with any relationship with any human being or with a dog is to create a container that is safety and unfortunately that is not even a possibility when it comes to dog training because dog training is not about making the puppy or the dog feel safe while we're teaching them the whole thing is i'm in charge you're supposed to do what i say and i really would like to completely create a paradigm shift and to make it not okay anymore. Just that like it's not okay for domestic violence. It's not okay to abuse children. I want to stop the traditional dog training, which is abusive, abusive for dogs. That's so beautiful. That makes, I mean, that's, it feels like that's so consistent with humans like that. Like it's interesting love, like all you need is love and love cures. Like love's like this superpower thing, but it's also kind of this like fluffy kind of new age concept but also is completely legit you know like if you can come from a place of love yes so it, one it of the thing, things it does change this thing and i really love like i like but then you have to have defined love that's exactly and people have different interpretations of what love is and you know tough love and maybe too much compassion is you know it's too much you know sometimes you know so that's like i think that that's that's the thing is is coming back to a healthy set point of what does it mean to love and do you even know how to love and is your love the same as my love the same as someone else's love is someone's love better or worse is there some ultimate truth in love and also the way you love one person is not the same the way you love another person that different aspects of you so what i ask my clients i ask them to follow the four agreements Mm. you know that miguel ruiz And I ask them when it comes to the relationship with the dog to follow the four agreements, which one of them is be impeccable with your words. You can't tell a dog, sit down. Is it a sit or is it a down? Which one? It's not impeccable. You can't tell your dog, good dog, when they're doing something right because what the heck did they just do? Because if I, who speak your language, don't know what good dog was for, how can your dog know? So you got to be impeccable. Be specific. Be specific how you're talking, what you're saying, be impeccable with your word. The other thing is don't make assumptions. Assumption is the killer of any relationship. You're a dog racist. You're you are completely thinking my dog trying to dominate me. Yeah. Oh, my dog is stupid. Oh, my dog is stubborn. 
these are the thing. I mean, I just somebody told all, me all pit bulls are dangerous. Yes, everyone. It's exactly. Yeah. And all labradoodles are sweet. That's right. All golden retrievers are sweet. <laughs> no, it's not. Recently, I had to expel a golden retriever. He wasn't. You know, so it's kind of like don't make assumptions. I mean, assumptions absolutely wrong. I mean, ask questions. So don't make assumptions when it comes to your dogs. Try to see. And, and really, you really got to learn more about how do we hide traumas. You know, because people hide traumas, dogs hide traumas. To show with your weakness as an animal is a recipe for disaster. Yeah, which so, oftentimes translates or uh, it, it turns into high performers. In people. Know, in people. Of yeah. course. I wonder with dogs. Is there high performing dogs? Probably so, huh? No, they're not trying to high perform. It's truly they are way more in tune with themselves. They're definitely not judging themselves as compared to the others as much as we do. Dogs are really, that is so beautiful about them. They're really about meeting their needs at the highest level, not so much in comparison to the other. Yeah. But anyhow, back to the four agreements. So we don't want to make assumptions about our dogs and instead to ask questions. Particularly if you think that your dog is dominant, chances are you're wrong. It's so far and few between that you meet a dominant dog. Rarely, 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 rarely. The other thing is don't think don't take things personally. The third agreement that Don Miguel Ruiz talks about is don't take things personally. Your dog is not doing something, be curious. Again, see what is it within them. Why don't they do it? Why are they not doing it? Why they are doing what they're doing? Don't take things personally. Your dog is jumping on guests. Don't feel embarrassed. This is not about you. <laughs> don't take it personally. And the fourth one, which is in my mind, is beyond is do your best. Are you doing your best? Are you showing up 100% to the relationship with your dog? Or you're just coming from a place, well, the dog should. If you're not showing up like that as a dog parent, then you're a dog owner. I differentiate between your dog owner, the dog is a property, versus I'm a dog parent. Because as a parent, you in a place where you want to give first, and then you receive. You're not going to accept your baby or your toddler to give you before you give them, right? So that is the way I kind of like look at what do I invite because people who come to me and they're dog owners, obviously, were not a good fit. I'm not for them. They're not for me. It's only those who are like, do the work. And they really want to show up for the dog. And they know that in return, they're going to get, it's the best return on investment in my mind. I want to take a moment and discuss the power of hydration. I have been utilizing Elements Recharge Packets for the last year, and they have absolutely improved my overall energy levels and also the quality and flavor of the water that I drink. What I like about Element is they are a perfect balance of electrolytes, minerals that you need in order for your cells and your nervous system to function properly. So it's a very simple, delicious packet of sodium, potassium, and magnesium. And it's great for traveling. It's great for before you're working out or after you're working out, or if you're doing any kind of like sauna or any kind of sweating, things of the sort. Highly recommend recharging yourself with some of Elements Recharge Packets. You can also try them for free and get yourself a sample packet by going over to drinklmnt.com slash aligns and you can get yourself a free pack. They just charge $5 for shipping and they will send you out a pack of some delicious flavors. I think you guys are going to really devour this stuff. And if you do not love it, then they also offer a 30-day money-back guarantee. So jump over to drinklmnt.com forward slash aligned for a free trial pack. 
I also want to thank Magnesium Breakthrough for supporting this podcast. This stuff is my go-to magnesium supplement. Magnesium is one of the only supplements that I'll actually purchase with my own money. Reason being, it is broadly deficient in modern day soil. Magnesium is responsible for a plethora of different actions in the body and especially helpful for things like sleep and muscle restoration, muscle repair. So if you are sore, if you're not sleeping that well, then I highly recommend integrating magnesium into your diet. Mag Breakthrough is, like I said, my favorite stuff. It's because it is a full spectrum magnesium supplement, contains all seven different forms of magnesium. I value the owners of this company. I trust this company emphatically, and I think you guys will really dig it. So you can jump over to Mag Breakthrough forward slash Align Podcast to get yourself a sweet discount. And also they have a 30 day money back guarantee. So nothing to lose. Um, I would be impressed if it does not improve your sleep quality and your muscular repair. So jump over to magbreakthrough.com forward slash align podcast. Something we were talking about before this as well was voice prosody and tonality and the way that we communicate. And we were talking about the polyvagal theory and yes. Stephen Porges, which you've talked about on here. When you're communicating with a dog, I would imagine tone matters deeply just the way it does with human beings. There's a study from the, the 60s from Albert Morabian. I don't know if you're familiar with him before. Is UCLA. No, uh, what did he say? Psych, uh, professor of psychology. Came up with a principle called the 65-38-7 principle is what it was. So 65% of our communication comes from body language and then 38 comes from the, the tonality, the way we're communicating. And then there's like this little last little sliver of the pie. Which is words. Which is the actual words that we're yes. saying. And that's specifically comes down to if there's incongruency. So if you're just talking on the phone, then obviously, you know, words will be of greater value than, than body language, but you still are talking with body language and tone on the phone. Tone of voice. Obvi- obviously time. tone, but even body language. Like you can yes. hear when somebody smiles, you can hear, you know, yes. if somebody's walking, if someone's hunched over talking, yes. if they feel depressed, like you can feel that like the texture of, of someone's communication, even if it is over phone. But what that relates to is if there's incongruencies between, so if we're here and I'm like, oh my God, I'm having such a great time here. I just love being here, but my hips are facing the door and my feet are facing, you know, I, like how do I get out of here essentially? I'm looking, I'm not making eye contact. You know I mean? My voice was totally normal a second ago and all of a sudden it's getting high pitch. So I said the words, but you just, you know, with 93% accuracy, I would say even more than that, if you have any level of attention to what's going on in the world, it would be higher. You're going to trust what they're saying with their body and their tone. What I wanted to get with that is, do can you hear the same, is it the same with dogs and the way that they communicate and the, the tone of their barks or the sounds that they make? So the answer is unequivocally yes. I can hear a dog's bark and I can tell when they're barking just to fake it. When they're barking just, they're being cute. They're barking because they're like, you pissed me off, dude. Back off. You're different. But to go back to what you're saying is we are the people who use dogs do not use the 11% as much. With them, it's much, much less. With, with them, it's face expression, body language, tone, really, the growl, the whatever. Yeah, right. So, but with us, it's very, very important. And one of the things that I find that is extremely difficult for people to do is to express sweetness and singing in particular. When they talk to the dog, they are, I feel that people are feeling embarrassed to show the sweet side, the vulnerable side. They are so much more comfortable to say, sit. And I don't allow that because in my method, sit is a correction. 
So I asked him to tell the dog, sit, sit, like with a big smile, sit, sit, where the dog knows it's not good boy, sit. What do you feel if you're a foreigner and you just came into China, you don't speak Chinese, yeah. and they would tell you, good boy, sit. Like, what did I just do? You don't know what good boy means, you don't know what sit means. Yeah. But if somebody was telling you, sit, sit, as you're sitting and touching you or petting you on the chest, sit, sit, sit. You may not know what it means, but you're open to learn. There's something about that. You're now open to learn. So one of the things that I work with people is how to be comfortable, to be vulnerable, and to express. And I work with them a lot on fake smiling. Because as you know, even if it's fake smile, yeah. the body changes. And there's different types of smiling. There's, there's smiling with your eyes versus smiling without your eyes. So smizing is the term. Smizing, your, I love yeah, that. I think it's your orbicularis oculi muscles that kind of cause the eyes to, to squint. Yes. That's an indication of, of a genuine, authentic smile. So I start with them with a fake smile. Mm. Just like you can start with laughter meditation with a fake laughter. Yeah. You're faking it. You're not really laughing. But what happens? You crack yourself up and you start laughing for real. Yeah. So this is the same. I'm taking, you see, what I'm doing in my method of the dog coaching that I'm doing is truly coaching both dogs and people using all the incredible information that is now available to us. Yeah. And because why do they get a dog? Because they are longing for that beautiful relationship. What will happen if I'll teach them how to smile more easily? If I'll teach them how to sing praise to the beloved, made me a dog, made me a person. You see, so this is what I was telling you at the beginning. These are training wheels, our relationship with dogs. Yeah. Because we take all of that, and that's why I love being on your podcast. It's such an honor being here because I love the work that you're doing, how you are introducing people to their own bodies. People are completely divorced from their bodies. They have no idea. Yeah. You know, you are introducing them. Hi, you, here is your body. I'm introducing them. Hi, you, here is your heart through your dog. Yeah. I think it's interesting as you're saying this, it's like we're continually attuning to each other. So, you know, your facial gestures or postural patterns or voice tonality or, you know, any of that, like your presence in the room, there might be some energetic stuff. Maybe there's electromagnetic frequency fields coming off your heart and your brain that were, you know, invisible stuff that's going on. But there's very clearly, you know, overt visible happenings that we're perceiving, digesting, interpreting, and it makes us feel away. And it's interesting by having a you know a dog or a relationship or anything in your life where it does cause you to you know vocalize certain expressions you know so by you saying sit or you saying you know sit you know both of those one's not right or, or wrong i think that, that there's no like moralistic judgment they're just different outcomes you know and so it's an interesting thing to by bringing an animal or relationship or whatever it is that just causes you to to vocalize or to move or to be moved it's literally you're, it's like you're choosing a channel for your nervous system to to occupy you know, and so when you're communicating with that animal it's it's literally you're changing the way that you produce yourself and the way that you know the hormones and your endocrinology and you know your mental emotional state based off of the way that you guide the ship and choose to communicate it's like this feedback loop and so but you just have making that sound you know whatever it is you could be you could just go oh or you could sing or you could whatever it is you're literally it's 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 creating real-time structural 
change in the way that you produce yourself. And so by having, you know, a, a dog in your life or a relationship or it may be, it's such, a, it's such a beautiful thing that by making the choice to infuse love into that relationship, um, I think it becomes mentally, emotionally, and physiologically healing to yourself. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. There's only one thing that I would like to bring up with you is that if you're in a relationship with a person, that other person is a sovereign being. It can walk away from the relationship. So if you are not nice in your tone of voice to that person, that person can leave. Unless it reminds them of their father. But they still have the like freedom. That. They still have the freedom to leave. Unless they're imprisoned by their own. But of course, but they still can get in a car and drive away and it will be okay. For a dog who lives in a family that they talk to him or that person talks to him not nice, the dog is stuck. Yeah. So I think it's more important then that the person would realize that the dog is a dependent. It's like a child. You know, a child cannot walk away from a parent. They're dependent. A dog is more like a child. And therefore, if somebody is a grown man talking not nice to a grown-up woman, it's, it's bad. But it's not as terrible as a grown man talk badly to a, a two-year-old child, right? Yeah. That is, you know, because the child is trapped. Yeah. And that's what I feel about dogs. And that's why I feel it's so much more important that people would realize how powerful they are, how impactful they are, for better and for worse. Yeah. With the tone of voice. I wonder how much that's, it, I mean, it brings up an interesting point of like how much sovereignty we really have over the decisions that we make and the people <laughs> that we attract. Yeah. Because I, I don't know, I don't know that at like a, you know, someone that lives in a trap house and they're like shooting up meth or whatever, you know, whatever the situation is. I don't know that they're consciously choosing that. No, you know, Gabe, uh, Martin Gabor, Gabor. Martin. Yeah. yeah. We've done, yeah. I think we've, we've done two podcasts so together. you know what he's saying that he wants to decriminalize the system because they said they're not doing it because they're choosing yeah. they are trauma victims and that's the way that they alleviate pain yeah but it, they're not choosing it it's not really a choice but that's the far end of the spectrum yes of you know seeming like some type of psychological slavery i wonder so it seems like oh yeah like for sure it's overt but i wonder if you draw the pendulum back like how much sovereignty we have over our decisions as you come back into places that seems more neutral i love that question because i've been struggling with that a lot because i look at people and i look at relationship and then i'm in the dating world and i recently just realized i'm ashamed to say that i'm always dating the same guy the avoidance yeah, sure, the yeah. attachment the avoidance attachment the one who starts good and then you know disappear and i'm like wait a minute how come i only now realize that i that i was not realizing that i was being led by an mechanism that uh, was guiding me and boy if i've done NP seminar under the sun and read every book and right. and still and i'm dealing with behavior and i teach behavior and i didn't realize it about myself you know so and now that i'm realizing it how can i catch the red flags you know before so i to your question talking from my experience i don't think we have that much freedom of choice until we really do a lot of work hmm. face ourselves love ourselves, forgive yep. ourselves, and, and, you know, try to do better differently. And I think working with the dogs is just helping. Do you think that that comes from some root of, like, unlovability is, like, a, perhaps a common thing of finding someone that's going to leave us? And so we're, like, confirming that. Of course. I do think so. Mm. I do think so. That in the core, 
you know, Tony Robbins says, again, I'm studying with Tony. I love Tony. He's my client. But he's just so many times I find myself quoting him because he just is so concise. And he says, in the core, every human being, doesn't matter how good looking they are, how much money they have or whatever, in the core, feel that somewhere in me, I'm not good enough. And therefore, I'm not lovable. Mm. So there are degrees. There are degrees of that. Even narcissistic people have degrees of that. What do you think the value of that is in culture or in, in oh. human? I mean, this is one of the best ways to manage people, no? Mm. To make them feel that as you are, you're flawed. Mm. So constantly try to do better. Constantly try to do better. You know, go in and, and feel guilty and, and push yourself harder. Because if everybody felt... I mean, think what happened in the 60s. You know, I just watched a documentary about psychedelics. Which one? Can't remember. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was either Netflix or Apple. I'm always looking Apple. for good documentaries. I feel like yeah. there's not enough good documentaries. No, no, there aren't. I get, I get through my Netflix thing. I'm like, I but think I've was, seen everything I want to see. But it was about psychedelics where how they criminalized psychedelics. Because what was going on, it was during Vietnam and everybody was doing like, I'm cool, I'm good, I'm love. Yeah. I want love. And that is not what's good for society, particularly not in the 60s. Yep. You know, we need you to feel anger. We need you to feel fear. We need you to feel stress. Also figuring out a way to, to criminalize very specific groups so they don't have the power to, to vote and be impactful in culture. So if they're doing I don't it, know about that. Tell me more. That was, that was, I'm, I'm kind of blurry on the details of it, but I think that was a big part of like the Nixon administration and the war on drugs was to get black people and people that would essentially like vote against his... Oh, interesting. Yeah. You know, what they were, their prerogative. Yes. And so, okay, like what are these people doing? Well, they're doing, you know, these substances. And so now all of a sudden, if we create a narrative, like Reefer Madness is a great example of that, which ultimately that all came from financial gain as well. That was, but that was different. That was like the textile industry, or not textile industry, so that was, that was cotton. Have you heard that? No. The story? No. Yeah, it was like William Randolph Hearst and a group of people. It was, there was, hemp was infringing on the production of paper, which would be coming from trees and they yes. found that they found that hemp was just way more economic and it just made much more sense but then i believe it was william randolph hearst he had like you oh, know thousands of magazines. acres of, yeah exactly and so they had to figure out some narrative to spin to make marijuana be this really evil substance and so marijuana wasn't even what it was called it was just called cannabis mm-hmm. you know and cannabis was this thing that was you know it's like what brought people from europe over to over to the united states in the first place really you know so that was what the sales were made of and when people first got here settlers got here they actually is ironic because they were actually fined for not growing hemp because they needed hemp to survive. What? And so no everything, idea. the first car, the Model T ran on, on hemp oil. Like this country, our, you know, our, as we know it, Western culture in, in a big way is maybe not founded on hemp, but it's, you know, a, a pretty pivotal piece in the whole puzzle. Wow. And so it's just that, you know, the narrative, which ultimately came from fear of, you know, scarcity or, you know, losing. Yes. And then the people in power, they can spin the narrative and control media. And, you know, then it's like, okay, it's a new narrative. But that happened as well with, from my understanding, um, that kind of got repeated in the Nixon administration. And it was to criminalize people that were going against their prerogative. Yeah. So back to your question is I feel that. Oh, yeah. Sorry. That was long. (laughs) No, but I think it was really. It was really a good yeah. point to show how things can be manipulated that if people feel love, they're less likely to want to fight. Yeah. Less, so, I mean, I, I love what uh, uh, Andrew Huberman talks about when mm. you have too much serotonin. When you have higher serotonin in the brain, 
it makes you blissed out. Yeah. You are less likely to want to do things. You are less hungry. You are less likely to do things. So people who are, have higher level of serotonin, meaning they're in bliss, they're in love, this is not very productive for society. Right. You know, so it's kind of like back to your question. We probably need to find the balance when it comes to people. And then I wonder what's, you know, again, there's no right or wrong or, you know, good or bad. It's just first like defining where, where are we going? You know, where would you like to arrive? Yeah. What's the end game? Yeah. You know, like, like, like first, first define the, the, the arrival point. And then from there, we can start to have definitive lines of like, oh no, like that's wrong because it takes us off mm-hmm. your perceived course. Mm-hmm. You know, but ultimately, like the right or wrong moralistic judgment stuff, it's like, well, first you have to, def- you know, define like, you know, where are you trying to go in the first place? Um, and it's never going to happen in society. It can happen with your dog, but it will never happen in society because everybody have come from different backgrounds. But maybe society, like where are, where is society going? Whose consciousness is running the show, I guess, is an interesting question. At the moment. Yeah. Because the or moment historic, changes. Right. We were talking about, you know, like hive mind mentality before this as well. And so you could look maybe at a, at a, a beehive or an ant colony and you'd be like, oh man, like those, those bees, like they don't have their own sovereignty and autonomy and like they should have their own penthouse suite someplace and have like a hot tub and be like living it up, be totally separate from the hive. They're just a part of this grander, you know, hive to create honey or whatever. But like, it's like, it's not for them. It's for this other thing. Like perhaps there's some value in um, integrating that hive mind mentality into into humans into schools and education and you know to to make you be kind of a gear of something grander yes that's not doesn't seem ideal for me but you know i'm just kind of going on a tangent yes but in israel you know they did the kibbutz the Mm. kibbutz is a socialistic endeavor right they don't believe in god this is a non-religious entities and they have thousands of them in israel and basically it's communal doesn't matter what you contribute, you get equally, and everybody takes care of each other. And ultimately, it started where the parent does not raise their own children. Right. That they have an end game of what they want the children to be like, and they choose the best people to raise the children. And the parents had only visiting rights. That's how it started. Wow. You know where it's at now? Uh-uh. Pretty much gone. Hmm. It didn't survive that human experience. And the reason why, because the people who were brilliant, and they wanted to get into high tech and whatnot... It was not fair that they will get compensated or get opportunities to buy the expensive computer because, you know, Joe Schmo, who just was growing tomatoes in the yard, was not okay that that guy going to get the expensive computer. So that person had to leave if he was into high tech and into development and into everything. It ultimately, they found out that it's the best when you are a child or when you are an older person. That that is the best. When you are in the creative, when you Mm. want to define who you are and explore yourself, it simply didn't work. And there were thousands of them and they still exist but they exist in a different way with a lot more financial freedom and choices for the members Hmm. yeah thank you for thank for allowing me to go into that that tangent we need to wrap up in the next soonish but i know that there's so many interesting things that you've been stewing on and i'd be curious if there's anything that in particular what would be interesting to share before we wrap up i think we touched truly we touched on the most important things, which is, which are really about let's honor our longing to be loved and to love safely. And that's why we get a dog. And when we get a dog, let's not try to dominate a dog. Instead, let's try to understand them. Let's work with them. Let's find out what their 
needs are, how can yeah. we meet the needs at the highest level, and let's love. Let's have the courage to love. One thing that I just wanted to say about sound, when you recently had COVID, you made the weirdest sound. Remember the sound mm-hmm. that you were making? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was thinking, God, most people would not have the courage to release stuff, break stuff in their lungs. Sure. Right? The way you did it. Well, at least video it and like, you know, show thousands of people it. Yes. It's and a little, and, and, a little and, awkward. <laughs> but you see, but you feel it's awkward because I think people are feeling awkward <laughs> to share sounds. And yeah. I really think it's a great place to express with your dog, to start singing and loving and calming down the dog nervous system. If a dog is reactive, I wouldn't invite you to consider that you not to correct your dog, but instead to look for modalities to heal your dogs. What else is on here? What were the bullet points? Oh my points? God, it's just, you know, we covered a lot. You know, I'm an ex-intelligence officer, as you know, with elite special forces. I never go anywhere not prepared. I mean, well, this is like... Do we know? talk about that in the, last, in the last conversation? Maybe, I have no idea. How did you transition from that into training dogs? When I finished doing my work as an intelligence... My, my focus as an intelligence officer was about understanding behavior. Yeah. So I would find, because I'm hypervigilant from my traumatic childhood, that gave me a skill set that allowed me to catch behaviors that are out of place. <laughs> and I was doing it for four years, and then I went down to the desert. Before I was going to go to university to learn to be a psychologist, I went down to the desert to help with a behavior research on birds and on wolves. And when I was in the desert, just like chilling away from people, just being there, you know, with the animals and by myself, I had a dream. And the dream, I heard a voice and it said, you need to work with dogs. And I had nothing to do with dogs. I like dogs. I was not a dog lover. I was a dog liker. And it's kind of like that incredible, magical thing that happened that opened doors for me where there were no doors i would see a wall and boom a door all of a sudden would show up and open so i did not do anything i just showed up to things and when they happened sometimes reluctantly sometimes not i followed through like when simon and schuster asked me to write a book and for a year i said i don't have anything to say for a year i told them i'm truly i have nothing to say but they insisted and i wrote a book And Oprah launched it, and it became a New York Times bestseller, and it was translated to Japanese and German and many, many, many languages. And it made people start questioning the 1950s way of dog training. Obviously, now that book is no longer accurate. It's 15 years ago. We have all the now new brain science and behavior, understanding and vagal theories. But it's kind of like that's how it happened. Magic. Just magic. And somehow I was... able to have the courage to leave my country, to learn a new language, to start a new life, and to serve in the way I'm serving this beautiful tapestry called society, called life. We all, it's like, tap- I look life as like a tapestry. You are a thread, Aaron. I'm a thread. Everybody's a thread. And we want our thread to show up in the most colorful way, not to hide, not to make it dull, the color of our thread, because we impact the whole tapestry then. So I'm blessed that I suffered enough, didn't want to be next to my biological family, and that suffering propelled me to move away and to have the courage to do what the dream guided me to do. What do you think, what feels right for you for coming to a place of maybe ease with, if a person feels unlovable, what's the, what's the path towards coming to a relationship with that? Or, or maybe, you know, evolving past it or... releasing it or whatever the best best term is for that yeah 
healing. That is the biggest challenge I face in my personal life. How to know that I'm lovable. Because all my life I was following, I have to do, I have to achieve, I have to become, you know, in order to be lovable. And because that was what I was told as a child, you're not lovable. You're not lovable. You're not lovable. So I still don't know how to go about it. The answer is I still don't know. I just surround myself with people who see me truly, flaws and all, and they choose to love me despite despite whatever I don't like about myself. It's really funny because sometimes what we don't like about ourselves, other people find endearing, you know. So I think having people mirror back to me that I'm lovable and I have a good tribe of good girlfriends who really were very, very supportive of each other of doing the work. And that is what's working for me right now. From what I hear from attachment theory is that you find a relationship with somebody who has secure attachment, that that relationship can heal. I know that it works for dogs. I know that secure attachment healing works for dogs. For me, I haven't found it yet. Hopefully I will. Have you come to a place of, or is it possible to come to a place of, of gratitude for whatever that initial catalyst of, uh, you know, the story of being unlovable and what that's... Absolutely. Uh, for me, I do. I mean, I can see how everything was precisely, everything was guided. And had I gotten the love and the appreciation and the safety that I so needed from my parents, I would not be doing what I was called to do. I would not be contributing in the way that I'm supposed to. Which is interesting and almost ironic because it's kind of like the, the, the education is let's remodel and everything, give them the love, but then they'd be a bunch of lazy bastards. So if we're kind of abusive, <laughs> they might more be really productive. Yes, isn't it so paradoxical? Isn't it par- the human experience is a j- is, is crazy? It's not it's a joke. It's crazy. It's yeah. insanity. Yeah. It's insanity. So we have moments, <laughs> people, experiences where we like, <sighs> and then back into the paradox. Well, I think it's like things work in waves and oscillations. Maybe love can take many forms. You know, and perhaps there is some grander 30,000 foot view of what's what's going on here. And maybe that experience of abuse or that experience of neglect or that experience of hugging and loving and appreciation or whatever, it's all a part of a soup. Yeah. And then we have our, our stories, you know, and our labels that we attach to it. And that drives, you know, our conscious mind. Yeah. But, you know, and I think that that comes into like, you know, God. You know, then God perhaps is just another word produced by humans as well. You know, but I think that that 30,000 foot view, that grander plan, that like, you know, ultimate chemistry that's happening. Do you think there's consciousness there? Of course. A hundred percent. Interesting. A hundred percent there's consciousness. hundred percent there's a higher divine intelligence. hundred percent we are so important and we are nothing at the same time mm. compared to the big cosmos yeah i mean you see i mean when you look at the human body how can there not be consciousness how can we talk with each other while our eyes keep water our ears our digestion and we think and we feel and we emit i mean how just to look at the human body that is a miracle mm. it's seriously mic drop there's nothing <laughs> after that <laughs> it's amazing that intelligence to me <laughs> yeah. magnificent well i appreciate you so much 
I appreciate <laughs> you. I love our conversation. We always get into so many. Thank you for having me. It's of such course. A joy. Yeah, I was excited to catch up. Where should people go? What's the best place for people to learn more? What's What do you think? Where do we so point I'm working now on an online course that will help dogs and will help the parents. It's going to be out hopefully in the next couple of months. The Loved Dog. So The Loved Dog on Instagram, The Loved Dog, the website, everything. I'm redoing everything now. Great. So I love it. Thank yeah. you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate thank you. I appreciate the, the, the moments and uh thank you all for tuning in. Over now. Pow. Hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. I wanted to thank you guys for leaving reviews on Apple Podcasts. I want to read a review from Anna N. 2016. Anna N says, hands down, my favorite podcast. I take notes on every episode. Thank you, Aaron. So greatly appreciate reading reviews from you guys or gals. Uh, it's just, it's very meaningful to get to actually see your guys' experience with this if you think it deserves a five-star review. Por favor, I implore you to take the 25 seconds and leave one on your telephone. It'd be fantastic. It helps the algorithmic gods know people are listening to this, and I just appreciate reading them in general. If you enjoyed this conversation, you want to share it, you can tag myself at Align Podcast on Instagram. You can also tag Tamar at Beloved Dog on the Instagram. That is it. That is all. I hope you are having a lovely week and I look forward to bringing another impactful conversation to you next week.